Thank you for tuning in to the Unjiggered Podcast. If you enjoy listening, please consider subscribing and giving us a rating on your podcast service of choice. Also, don't forget to like and tag us on Instagram at unjiggered underscore media. Thank you to everybody for listening, and now, on with the show. You're listening to Unjiggered, a bartender podcast where we interview highly successful bartenders about their careers, lives, and the passion of bartending. This week on the podcast, we have Spaniard. Listen as we chat about his adventures filming and bartending around the world. With this podcast, we want to peel back the mask and discover just how the grades really became the grades. So sit back and enjoy. My name is Spaniard. I am a bartender from Spain, but I currently live in Denmark. And there's a bit of a story of how I ended up in different countries till I ended up here. Oh, fantastic. Well, we'll get to it at some point. But first of all, how are you? I'm, uh, I'm alive, dude. Yeah, I haven't seen you in ages, actually. Like, yeah. when's the last time we, we, we kind of met? I think it was still London, was it? Well, I mean, the, uh, let's talk about the last time because that was in Rome. Oh, it's we true. That was Rome. I have pictures of you next to the Colosseum, actually. Yeah, yeah you, we were singing Pavarotti. Yeah, eating pizza. Classic Italian things, right? Yeah. Making, making pasta from scratch. The least you can do, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, let's uh, dive right into it. You mentioned you're from Spain. So are you born in Spain? Yes, I am. Uh, I was actually born in Tarragona, which is in Catalonia. And I only found out maybe just a year ago that the moment my mom had me, we just moved straight to Seville. So I basically grew up in Sevilla. And then by the age of 10, my mom said, this country sucks. Where the shit? Food is horrible. Let's go to London. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and then a year later, I followed. So the idea was to to learn English and go back to Spain. But because I wanted to become an actor, I decided to stay a little bit longer and got into theater studies. I did it for about seven years. And then next thing you know, you're an adult. Yeah, the rest is history, I guess. So tell us, you said you studied to become an actor. You went to acting school. How was that? It was good. I mean, I think I, I don't. I think uh, I think I like the idea of of being someone I wasn't. You know, I think that's that's where I had my my first interest of pretending to be somebody else. Maybe because I didn't. I don't know. Maybe I didn't like myself when I was younger. Maybe uh, it was just interesting to get into people's. Uh, minds and I've always been interested in the psychology, how people think and perceive life. But most, most importantly, you know, just just getting lost into someone else's world and, uh, or maybe also also the rush, you know, of of being in front of an audience, which you know, in a way, we kind of do when we're in front of an audience, you know, in a bar. You you do put on a, an act, right, one way or another. We do Indeed. tend mm-hmm. to. Um, so a little bit of acting has definitely helped in in my career. I, certainly i think the way i see it right like i remember once i was working and i was walking i just walked outside the bar i had to go through the lobby of the hotel to collect something from the other side and i just passed by some people and i've noticed how much effort they put into going out like how well dressed they were and like the makeup and the perfume and the haircut and everything and somehow i thought you know like this really means something to people you know the way they are investing their own private time to come and share it with us so i think th- the only thing you can do is to make sure that you give them as positive as an experience as you can right absolutely and that's where uh, like the acting bit probably like comes into play the fact that you have to go to work and you have to sort of like deliver a flawless experience for guests because ultimately they're not there to be empathetic with you they're there because they chose to spend their time there right so they shouldn't be Abs- 
Yeah, absolutely. I think I think in relation to that, I remember explaining this to one of my colleagues where, you know, we worked in this hotel and, and I try to explain that everything is important from the moment you walk into into those doors. And the fact that you didn't bother to check the mint could have ruined everything. And he goes, how so? I was like, well, imagine, hypothetically speaking, let's say you have this guy that's been traveling for 15 hours. Everything has been a complete disaster. Eventually, he gets to the to this city that he has to stay for a couple of nights. Reception was great. Goes to the room. Everything was spotless, immaculately clean. Then he goes to the bar where he can finally relax. And then he just wants that drink. He, that's all he's thought about for the past 15 hours. I want to go to my hotel and then just have a drink. And then that's the moment where he gets the drink with his crappy disgusting mint or let's say that that the lime is too oxidized or there's too much sugar just something that just kind of goes ah you know like i could have just i could have just had a beer and everything would have been better but i wanted to have a mojito or some other drink and and then everything was just ruined or maybe or maybe the way that you spoke to him put him down like you know i don't know what's i don't know what your problem is but I'm, 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 you know, I'm a guest. I'm here just to have a drink. It's like, no, no, it's fine. It's like, you know, I've, I've had no people today. I was just about to close down, and then you came in. It's like, do you see, do you see what I mean? Like, you, you, you always have to give them a good experience, no matter what. And I'm not saying that you should think about this guy. It's just that it's a service at the end of the day. And yeah, you do, you know, like we, there's always a story. I think everybody that comes into your bar has a story, um, and you shouldn't. You shouldn't justify why this guy should have better service or not. I mean, you should always do your absolute best. But these are the small examples that you kind of want to give to people so they understand that, okay, you know, that, that makes sense because I wouldn't like to be in that position, you know? I wouldn't like... Yeah, but, I, um, I think that the most important skill in bartending is actually empathy, you know? And, it, and it's, such a, it's such an important skill and I think it's the basis for our work because if you all have empathy towards your guests... You want to make sure you deliver the best drink or the best service, or you just go the extra mile to deliver that experience, you know, purely based on empathy. I mean, there are def there are many different ways that you can go on about this. I I stopped thinking that way a while ago because, you know, there, I, I remember there was a period where going to different bar shows, all I heard, you know, there were so many seminars about the guest, the guest, you know, the guest is the most important thing. It's like, I'm just so tired of listening to this. Like, of course they're important. Of course we should do our best. Of course we should deliver, you know, top-notch quality service. And But you just, why do we keep talking? I mean, is everyone doing such a bad job that we have to talk about this year after year, you know? And, and you know, my the way that I changed my, my mentality towards this was I'm I'm trying to do the best I can so so I can look at myself and think, oh, I, I am better today than I was yesterday. Never mind the guest. I mean, the guest, of course, should have a good experience, you know, but, but you know, because, you know, when you do trainings, you know, when I, when I train people, you, different people understand your skills in different ways. So, you, you, you know, you, you try to explain it in different, in, you can't just have, like, I have two tools. I have two ways of explaining this. And if you don't get this, then, then you're not good for it. You know, I have a thousand ways of explaining things depending on who you are, right? You know, because we all come from different backgrounds. We all have different ways of seeing things. And, you know, so there's a lot of psychology behind it. And I tend to use those tools to, to make them understand that, well, okay, well, look at it this way. Okay, let's put a different example. How about if, you know, and for me, it's always been about competing against yourself. It's never been about how important this is and that is. It's like all of these things are important, you know, 
all, all, all of these variables should be in the back of our heads at all times. But but it's also important that you understand why you do it. Mm -hmm. like, why do you do it? You know, instead of putting yourself in someone else's shoes, like, well, he paid a lot of money. It's like, I don't care how much money he paid. I'm going to give him the same service as, as anybody else. But that's because I'm, but again, this is me because I'm competing against myself because I'm thinking at the end of the shift, could I have done better? You know, I think, I think that definitely helps me become better rather than. Yeah, no, it makes anyway. sense, totally sense. Yeah. It's more of an internal thing rather than getting stimulus from the outside. Right. So let's uh, dive back into your uh, background. We talked about your acting school. At what point yeah. have you started working into bars? So let's see. So I started when I was, I was still in school. So I was 17. And this was just a summer job, I guess, just working in, in a pub next door. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was just pocket money. You know, it's just, you know, everyone was going out. I've, I never asked, I never borrowed money from my parents. So I've always wanted to just kind of, you know, I was working as a paper boy when I was 15. Delivering papers. Um, yeah, yeah. I was delivering papers to Jonathan Ross and Boy George, believe it or not. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And, and at what stage did bartending become serious? Like, it's never serious, but at what, at what stage did it become a career? That moment I said, you know, this is not going to get any better. You might as well enjoy what you're doing now. <laughs> no, I think I remember going to a friend's bar. Uh, this girl, Rebecca. Shit, I haven't heard from her in ages. Anyway, so I went to pick her up. And and I remember asking her, I was like, hey, what what happened to the what happened to the Asian dude that used to work in the bar? I was like, oh, he he moved to Japan. I was like, yeah. It's like, yeah, he's uh, he's he's gonna be you know making cocktails. That's what he does. It's like, that's so cool. Like, you, you can just travel anywhere and make cocktails. I think that's the, that was the first thing that kind of hit me, you know. And the second one would be when I was out with a friend, and he said we were supposed to go to to the cinema or something. And he goes, before we go. I know I know a guy that makes the best martinis in town. So let's just go there for a quick one and then we can go. And I was like, okay, sh sure. So we walked into the lab in Old Compton Street. First time I've gone to a proper cocktail bar. And then I saw this guy, Tim Stones. I was like, I want to be that guy. I think that was the first, the first time that I had this impact where I thought... This guy is cool, yeah. I, I want to be I doing think, that, yeah. I, th I think this is what I want to do. I mean, it had nothing to do with the drinks... But it was just everything about it, you know? The music was great. Everyone was having a laugh. It was like a gathering of mates in school. And and you have this cool guy, you know, just making jokes. Everyone's taking the piss out of each other. You know, a lot of banter. It was, you know, I, th I thought, I don't want to leave this place. And I thought, I want to do that too. So, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not, this is not your typical story of seeing some bartender, you know, throwing bottles in the air going like, oh man, that's so cool. For me, it was just, like I said, you know, it's like walking into a fun place, like a fun house where you go, this is, not, this is cool. This is what I want to do. But, but the thing is that for me, it was very difficult to, to, to get into the cocktail world because, you know, I had dreadlocks and tattoos and piercings. And at the time, it was all, it was all about, you need, well, for starters, you need to have a minimum of two years experience. So who, who, who's going to give me two years experience? You know? Yeah, like, no, no, I, I, like I agree, I agree. Every, Every single ad on Gumtree.com was, you need two years experience. Like, well, who's going to give me those two years experience? So, of course, you know, you, you need to start, you need to start from the bottom, which I think everybody should for sure. And, and that's when I started working in Smolensky as a barback. And then slowly, you know, going up the ladder. 
but but yeah it was difficult and and I'm not saying that this is the reason why but I'm pretty I can tell you that the looks definitely didn't help and that's why it, I, I guess that's that's why it was easier to get a job at the big chill at the big chill bar because everyone pretty much looked like me you know it's just hipsters <laughs> pretty much do you think well, things have changed in uh, regards to that because what uh, you're talking about 10 years ago at this stage aren't you yeah 15 years ago yeah absolutely because no one had tattoos no one had i mean i i worked in places where if you had any any type of piercing they would they would tell you to take it off and i remember guys that would just put this the the fishing line in not fishing line what is it called the fishing thread yeah i think it's called fishing line yeah yeah so they would they would use that so it wouldn't close oh that's messed Um, up man i think things mm. have changed a lot like I, i think they're relaxing like Things have relaxed a lot uh, for the better, uh, I might add. You know, I've never been a tattoo guy myself, but I've never oh. noticed a uh, decrease in performance based on the, your tattoos. So, Well, I, I mean, now, th- now they want what I was 15 years ago, which is really annoying. <laughs> because <laughs> now you say, like, I got this guy, he's got tattoos and pieces, like, he's hired. I don't care how much experience, but he doesn't have two years experience. I don't care. He's in. He's in. Oh, oh, and by the way, and by the way, he's from London. Up, ah, he's in. Let's go. <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> so, you're working in London. Is there anything else you're doing while you're working in bars? Yes. Yeah, so the filming. I mean, the, I, I've always done. I've, I've always done films. I think because mm-hmm. I studied. I did media for two years, and the money that I saved as a bartender, I bought myself a computer, a camera. I was filming so much crap everywhere. Um, I started doing the, the bartending videos later on once I got into, you know, in the cocktail business because at the t- you know, when the internet started, there weren't that many videos online and the very few videos online were so poor, you know, they were so bad. And luckily, I, you know, I was working in, in a bar with some of the biggest names. I also, I had um, Trey Masso and Henry Besson by my side and they knew everybody in the business. They had great recommendations for places to go. So that's when I just thought, why not take advantage of, of this and, and, and start making videos of these guys, you know, real bartenders. So I thought, let's, let's just take advantage of the people that we know and then just tell them to make a drink and see how it goes. And I think that's, I think that's when it started, you know, when, I, when you started seeing well, I, I don't want to say that I started it, but I definitely don't know anyone that I was that was doing that at the time. So for me, it was kind of like um, starting a fire. Yeah, and I, I think we went from a time where we had uh, zero content online because the internet was such a new thing hmm. to a time now where it, internet can be a bit spammy. I think there's a lot of people who make a lot of content, which can be average at best. And I think it's uh, very difficult nowadays to find a competitive edge. Because there's just so many people filming out there in order for you to come out with content that is it attracts more attention like you really have to think outside the box right hmm. i mean you also have to think about what kind of audience you're reaching out for because you know you look at groups like the tipsy bartender and you have millions of views and you know i'm never i'm, I'm not going to say anything bad about it because i think we do need that kind of content you know sometimes you do you do need this phony, you know, happy-go-lucky kind of guy making drinks that excited you when you started in the in the cocktail world. You know, I remember going to some cocktail bars in London and, and I had this guy 
making me a sex on the beach and just and some colorful cocktails and i was just like in the, it was just like such a wow factor you know mm-hmm. but just because you've been in the business for 20 years you can't just look at it now and go well that's crap it's like but look how excited you were the first time you saw fire even though the drink was crap now you look at it and you laugh at it you know that you can't tell me that your first strawberry margarita was bad it wasn't it was amazing it was delicious it's still amazing that's the thing it still know? is you know? I'm no, but I, to touch on that, I think, because I, I, I kind of see, like, because uh, the tipsy bartender appears a lot on my Facebook wall, so I kind of see a video of it every now and then. And I think it's brilliant stuff. Like, don't get me wrong, I think the drinks that he makes are horrifying, but, like, they all have something cool for people to watch. And if you read the comments, like, 99% of the comments are, like, incredibly positive. It's people, those people, people love really it. enjoy the content. Pe- People love it. They you love know? it, yeah. Look, listen, I, I go to Vegas. I'm there for three days. I want to have a good time. I'm going to have a Miami Vice. Here we go. You know, like, don't don't spoil my time, you know? I'm having a good time. I want to have something silly and, and childish, and, and it tastes good, and I get drunk. You know, like, come on. What, what's not to like? You know, if after a few drinks, the bartender pours 10 shots, and it looks like a rainbow are you going to be like, oh, mate, 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 you know, don't do that. <laughs> don't, you know, make, make me a Manhattan. Stop wasting your time. No, of course not. You're going to be like, yeah, you know, rainbow shots. Of course. Come on. You know, like you, you're there to have a good time. So, so people need to calm down. Don't take your job cool. too serious. So going back to you, um, at what stage uh, have you thought, okay, I kind of need to move out of London? Because like, you've been there for like 15 years or so. Yeah, I, I tried to escape a few times, actually, and I always ended up going back. Uh, well, I, I mean, it was a friend of mine that wanted to go to Copenhagen. We came here for a beer, and we're still here. So it's been 15 years now. Oh my there God. must have been a very long beer. Yeah, still going. What differences did you, do you find between the two cities for people who like, perhaps don't know the cities very well? Well, if you, if you know what London is like, Copenhagen is exactly the opposite. So what is London like? London is very, it's a very competitive city. It's always growing. Sometimes you hate it. Sometimes you love it. But there's so much going on all the time. You know, it's like going into, it's like going into a library and you you just have no idea which book to choose because there's just so much, so many options. Whereas Copenhagen is very limited. And, you know, a lot of countries and cities have the same issue. Sometimes when you do your traveling, your guest shifts, you you kind of have to bring your own ingredients because they don't have it over there, right? And and maybe in your country, it's just like, that's weird because this, we have it all over Europe. It's like, well, this is not Europe. <laughs> uh, the same thing with tools. And that's the thing, you know, you always look at London as you guys have everything, even though even though it's an island in away from everything, but the possibilities are just endless. Whereas here... You, you can't just go to a market where you can buy ingredients from all around the world like you do in London, you know, flowers, spices. Uh, and, and, and this obviously encourages bartenders to be more creative. And even though a lot of the times, you know, you pretty much get the same drink and you go, mm. <laughs> was, that, was that really worth it? I mean, you just changed <laughs> the name from this to this. But, but you see what I'm saying, you know, it's, you know, in... When, I, when we first moved to Copenhagen, there was, there was no cocktail culture. If, you know, when you have a city like London where cocktails have been around since the 1800s, and then here it was only like a couple of years, then, then it kind of becomes like a playground. And since it's a very trendy city, you also have the opportunity to evolve. But 
again when it comes to when it comes to ingredients i'm i'm pretty much stuck with with 20 fruits i'm giving you a low number but you just so you get the idea yeah 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 i right? get it yeah but i think that's where creativity comes for us because what can you make the best of the little that you have so to give you an example i remember going to this bar in in it was in buenos aires and the guys worked with only 25 bottles and all of the cocktails were with 25 bottles and you'll be surprised how many drinks came out of the bar. And that's kind of what you wanted to work with, right? I mean, there's so much that you can do with sugar. There's so much that you can do with just one fruit, with juices, you know, different ways of cooking, different techniques and methods that with the same products, with the same ingredients, you can create so much. And what about quality of life in terms like, like if you take work out of the equation uh, in between the two cities? Between like Copenhagen and London? Can find? Yes. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, it's just uh, it, it's conversational for yes. people who don't know the two cities. Mate, it's, it's, again, it's the exact opposite. I mean, London was spending all your time working so you can pay for your travel card. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true, that's true. London can get quite grindy, right? The amount of time that you spend traveling to get to work, the amount of time that you spend working so you can pay to travel uh the amount of time that you spend at work versus you know your time off to do whatever it is that you forget about it it's it's i mean it's a completely different mindset as well you know because i you know it took me a, about an hour and a half to get to work and it didn't bother me you know an hour and a half is yeah it's fine no worries it takes me five minutes from my house to my work here by bike that's crazy. Eh? Just by doing that, you've gained roughly three hours of extra daytime. Well, here's the thing. I'm not spending, you know, 40% of my wages on a travel card. <laughs> yeah, are you, true. Listen are you true. listening to this? People need to understand <laughs> how no, that's important well, this is. I mean, because I remember when, you know, because I still go back to London from time to time and you know, my mom doesn't live that far away from the city, but in comparison to Copenhagen, yeah, she, she lives in, you know, Farmville. But, <laughs> but you know, just to walk from her house to the metro station, to the underground, it's about 20 minutes just to walk. And then you have your, yeah. and then you have, you know, wh whatever time you need in the metro. And if you think about how much money you invest from your wages, just so you can do your, you know, your weekly routine to get to work, it's insane. It's crazy. Yeah, it's surreal. Yeah, you're right. So then there comes, you know, then, then, then comes the food, you know. I used to work about 60 hours a week. And then you think I'm going to go home and start cooking for an hour and a half? I don't think so, mister. So, so it's kebab o'clock. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, I, you end up eating not so great food or processed food. Whereas here you get to have a little bit of more time to, to do your cooking, right? And after I started doing some training, I... I started to cook in big bulks in London, that is. So you had everything in Tupperware. So that way you can just go home and then you just put your crap in the microwave and there you go. But yeah, it's, 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 I, think, I think London is it's like an airport, you know? Everything happens. People come, people go. People come and go uh, yeah, people come and go and, and you don't know if you're going to see someone again. You know, this, this goes for everything. It come, it's the same with, with friendship, you know? Friends come and go. You know, you have a great friend for about two years and he goes... Hey, uh, so I'm moving to Singapore. It's like, you piece of... What? Why? <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to talk to us about some of the defining uh, career steps that you had in uh, Copenhagen? 
Well, mm, let's see. I mean, I've I've worked in a lot of bars in Copenhagen, but I've always been a bartender. I've never been. I've never wanted to be a manager. And why is it so? Because I I I enjoyed. I liked my job. You know, I I I liked I liked barten, uh, bartending. I don't know. I guess I guess you can't really criticize the unknown until you do it, right? But I I just liked. I like being behind the bar. I didn't like the idea of being in the office and emails and different types of responsibility, you know. But yeah, I think they're different jobs. Like, but managing a bar and bartending are two different career, like are two different jobs. And and uh, the fact that one comes after the other doesn't necessarily mean that what should be the natural progression, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there are managers and there are managers, you know. I think uh, I think the first managing job that I took, I. I said to myself, I can't believe that I didn't do this any sooner. But it also depends on where you work because I've also spent a lot of time, not spent, I've, lo- I've wasted a lot of time. I could even say years not developing as a bartender, you know, just kind of being stuck, which is very sad because, you know, it could be three or four years where I just didn't do anything. I didn't, you know, there was no, nothing challenging. I wasn't challenging myself. I wasn't growing in any way. I wasn't traveling and being motivated with anything that I did. But then when you're a manager, you're kind of responsible for that, right? And the first managing job that I took, I, you know, I had that responsibility, making sure that, that the guys learned that they, you know, that I, I did trainings for them. Uh, I could do anything I wanted in, in the menu. Whereas as a bartender, you, you, again, this depends on, I'm talking about personal experience, but your input on on the menu is almost zero because someone someone else was taking care of it. So so then you look at yourself and you think, I'm making someone else's drinks. You know, I'm basically just coming in, doing my job, but I'm not I'm not really learning. I, well, it's not that I'm not learning. I'm I'm not I'm not creating anything of my own because you know uh-huh. you don't you don't have that free hand in a way. And, I see, I see. And then once I became a manager, then I thought, this is incredible because now I can do whatever I want in a good way, you know? Even even teaching the guys kind of put me back on the spot. You're like, okay, now I need to start reading as well because you need to know what you're talking about as well. You can't just give them homework and then they come back and say, okay, so this is this is what I know about fermentation and this is what I know about... And you're like, uh, yeah, 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 you're right. You know, you can't do that. You you So that also helps you to to get back on track as well. So it definitely helped me to to start learning again in a way because I was stuck for so many years that being a manager was actually one of the greatest things that has ever happened to me. So what recommendation would you give to someone who feels perhaps in the same situation where uh, you felt at? Like meaning that you, you feel like you're not improving because it, it happens a lot in our industry, right? Where you reach the point where you think, I need I need to do more, right? Man, you have no idea how many times I wanted to quit. You know, the amount of times that I just thought, is this the best that I can do? You know, can I do any better than this? I mean, serving drinks, is that the best I can do? But then you have to look at it, you know, look at the whole picture. You don't, you're not just making drinks. I think making drinks is, is the bonus. The, the, the part, fun part. The part where you, where you can relax. Because one thing is making drinks and another thing is bartending. Yeah, how would you differentiate the two? Making drinks is making drinks. You know, I can I can hire you and say, listen, uh, I need you to be at the arena by seven o'clock. 
you're going to start making drinks from 8 till 10. Here are the specs. You're basically like a singer that gets given a microphone, sing a song. But even the singers have to come in and do some rehearsals. The rehearsals would be you learning your, your specs, right, before you come in. But bartending is a completely different story because bartending is setting up, is dealing with guests, is, is, is well, let's just talk about dealing with guests. That's, that's a lot, <laughs> you know, because making drinks, am I making drinks in the corner? Am I making drinks in the dispense bar where I don't have to deal with guests? Or am I bartending? Does that make sense? Because it does, it does, it does. There's a, there's a huge difference because, there. Because I think a lot of bartenders love to be in the dispense bar, but there, there's so much more to. I mean, even just making drinks in front of a guest is already a completely different ball game than being in a dispense bar. You know, the old. You know, sometimes we can have very difficult people to deal with. Some people are very pleasant. You know, there's a lot of psychology behind it. There's Agreed. No, no, no. Of course, of course. It's such a it's a different thing. You know, I've, I've worked in pubs where, you know, I've had hooligans that I had to deal with and I was this skinny guy, you know, with, with no power whatsoever, with a really low voice, like, guys, can, you, sorry, please, guys. can you just, can you just, <laughs> can you please just drink up? Cause my boss is, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, and that's, that's also part of the job, you know, giving people recommendations, what's new for the day, concerts that we should know about, uh, any theme parks, any, like, it's just so much information that you, that you need to know that just making drinks is that's that's the bonus you know is is that's when you can just relax and and not think about everything else so going back to your career uh, you mentioned that you moved to, to Copenhagen uh, and you're bartending there at some point uh, i am assuming that based on our previous conversations that you wanted to open a bar would you like to talk to us about that well i didn't want to open up a bar my friend did <laughs> okay <laughs> he asked yeah <laughs> Yeah, he, he always wanted to open up a bar in Barcelona. So, you know, we started talking a bit more here and there. And it just became more of a project rather than, you know, I didn't think of it as I'm moving back to Spain. It was more of a I'm going to open up a business in Spain kind of uh -huh. thing. And I was traveling back and forth, you know, was going to Barcelona, back to Copenhagen, one, maybe once a week. But nobody knew. Nobody knew that I was going to Barcelona. Uh -huh. And and that was the time that I that I took the opportunity to well you know just go there and look for locations and work on the business plan, uh, get to know the city, get to know the crowd, get to know the people in the industry, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And then eventually we found a spot that everybody was very reluctant to to go forward with with the business because okay so we had a business plan that we worked for a long time. And when we found this spot, the first thing I thought was, well, this concept is not going to work. Not here. It's just too small. And my business partner said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We'll think of something. I was thinking, we'll think of what well, you think of something. And I remember just taking a, taking a stroll down, this, down the street. And I thought, hey, I have an idea. How about we do this? And he goes, you see? I told you, man. I told you. <laughs> it's like, like that was a that was a lucky fluke, you know. Like I definitely wouldn't have thought about it. anyway. So I had this idea, and I thought, okay, let's do it. So then we went to speak to the owners, and we said, okay, so we're very much interested in your location. What's the deal? And they said, this is how much we're selling it for. Uh, if you want to come back tomorrow, and we settle down with a payment, you'll have the keys by tomorrow. 
And we're like, sweet. Now, you know one of those stories when you think it's too good to be true? Yeah. Well, it wasn't too good to be true. I mean, we were buying a shithole, <laughs> you know? And the price was very cheap. And I knew that they were very desperate. So the problem was that the next day, he spoke to his other business partner. Apparently, there were two, which we didn't know. And then he said, oh, listen, um, unfortunately, the price is this as opposed to what I told you yesterday. And we said, but you told us yesterday it was that much. Yeah, I know, but you know, I spoke to my business partner and then I just got the wrong figures. So everyone's looking at each other going, well, this is bullshit. I mean, we're not going to buy it, are we? But I was the only one who said, no, we need to buy it because it's still cheap as hell. Yeah, but you know, it's the principle. We can't just forget about the principle. Like, look, it's just this much more. Forget about it. We have the place, then we can do whatever we want. Screw these guys. They're just desperate. They're just, you know, they're just trying to see if they can get a little bit more. Anyway, then we get a phone call saying, oh, and by the way, there's a French guy coming over. And if you want the place before him, then, you know, we don't, we don't know if he might buy it, but he's coming over around 12 o'clock uh, just to let you know. It's like, okay, now he's playing mind games. Now, now, now they want us to... Make a you decision know, in like, like two hours. You know, like, or so, yeah. Well, well, what about if we give you a thousand euros extra and then, oh, come on, like, what are you doing? What, what French guy? There's no French guy, you know. Like, anyway, long story short, fast forward about two weeks, we ended up, you know, settling down and saying, listen, we're interested. Cut the crap with the French people. <laughs> we're gonna buy the place, and then and then everything was everything was running smoothly. So I go back to Copenhagen, and now I start telling everybody, hey, I'm, I'm moving to, to Barcelona to open up this bar, and blah, 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 blah. I, I told my, my roommate that I was moving out. I, I, w I was working at two different bars at the time. I told them that I was leaving. Uh, I had a goodbye party. And, and then I get a phone call from my partner saying, hey, I just got this email from, I got this message from, from a lawyer. I'm like, oh, no. So I read the email. And it says that uh, they would have to renew the contract within a year, which means that, you know, if the, if the building board decides to not have a bar, then total, then that's it. Then we're out. It, it was just it was just too risky to say yes. So imagine that, you know, imagine saying goodbye to everybody, finally being in a position where you can say, oh, this is it. I'm doing this. Uh. I'm doing this. I'm moving and I'm going and this is going to happen and everything's set. We're going to get the keys. And then they say, "No, no, no. You're not going anywhere, mate." So <laughs> talk talk to your landlord, talk to your bosses and see if you can get your job back. Which I didn't. You know, I actually ended up going to to Japan for the second time just to get away from everything and everyone and and I think it was very healthy of me to do that. But yeah. So that must have been quite heartbreaking. Uh, but how long did you spend in Japan to refresh yourself? Uh, I think it was almost a month. And would you like to talk to us about what you did when you were there? What didn't I do, Michele? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, to be honest, I mean, the second time I was there, I was, I was just taking it easy. I knew, I knew places already from the first visit. In so comparison, wh you know. wh when did you film uh, your uh, deserve video? Was it the first time or second time? 
that was the first year. Oh, the okay. first year I was yeah, the first year was because I wanted to film Japanese bartenders. That was that was my last request on my bucket list. So how was that? How, how did you go about filming Japanese bartenders? Because for someone to grab a camera, go to Japan and start filming random bartender dudes, uh, I mean, th- there's a bit of a thought process behind it, right? Uh, definitely random bartenders, and I'll get into that in a second. But it was always my dream to go to Japan. That's number one. And and why Japanese bartenders? I don't know. I think I, think I, just, I just had this fascination of, if this is how they make katanas... How in the world do they make cocktails, you know? Because no, nobody knew anything about it, right? There was absolutely nothing out there. Nothing. But I know what they are. You know, I know, I know, I know a little bit about the culture. So I thought... How did you go about finding bars? You just walked around? So the first person I spoke to was... I spoke to Marion. And I said... Uh, do you Ma- know Marion Beckett it is, right? Do you know any other Marions? No, no, just uh, for the sake of clarity, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. So, yeah, so I spoke, I asked him, do you know anyone in Japan? And then he said, uh, yeah, I know this guy. Uh, and then he gave me his, con- well, he gave me his name. I got in contact with him. And the most important thing was that he could speak English. Because the first time I went to Japan, apart from Weno, nobody speaks English. Now now they're good. Now now they can speak English. But, mm-hmm. but anyway, my, my, my idea was... You just need to know one bartender. You go film them. You ask them, what do you recommend after this? And then you go to the next bar and then you do the same thing. So I didn't have a list. It was like, I just need to know one guy. And then from that, just I just kind of rooted, rooted down. And the thing is that he wasn't even living in Tokyo anymore. When I got in contact with him, it's like, oh, I don't live in Tokyo anymore. It's like, oh, where do you live? It's like, Osaka. It's like, Okay, I'm coming to Osaka. And then we went to Kyoto. and So that's, that's part of the reason why we traveled a little bit around um, Japan. It was good. It's really, yeah, an experience for sure. It's just a shame that it's changed a lot f- from one year to the next because I think once they opened the borders, you had, we'll put it this way, the first year that we were there, we didn't see a single Westerner. I mean, we must have seen maybe three or four within three weeks. Okay. And then the next year... There were Westerners in every street, honestly. So uh, you, I mean, it's, it, 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 you know, it's, it, things change. Um, I can see what you mean. Anyway, that's just. At uh, what stage, what was your first management job? Uh, that was at MASH, actually. Well, no, that, that's not true. The, my first managing job was in Ibiza when I was 21. I mean, I mean the boss that I had, he was just uh, a beast. Okay. Really? I don't I, I don't even know if he's still alive. Let's just put it that way. Okay, yeah. Well, living in Ibiza, probably. <laughs> com, com, complete freaking maniac. Eyes like plates, no sleep. Every day, <laughs> I don't know. So let's talk about uh, your experience in MASH. So how was that? It was amazing because when I, when I was in Japan the second time, I like I said, I didn't want to be... Well, I didn't want to see anybody that I knew I didn't want to know anything about anything. You know, I just wanted to spend some time alone. And I got a phone call from, from a friend and he said, hey, I'm opening up this new restaurant. Uh, I was wondering if you could help me out. And I said, uh, when I get back home, man, because right now I definitely don't want to, you know, I don't want to talk about business. I don't want to. And he goes, yeah, yeah, no problem. So when I went back to Copenhagen, we met, we sat down and he goes, right, so, you can do whatever you want. Whatever spirits you need, 
whatever music you like, blah, 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 blah whatever team you like, this and that, uh, salary, we'll discuss it. It's like, whoa, 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 what's happening? <laughs> I didn't come here for an interview. I came here to, I thought I came here to help you out. And he's like, nah, are you interested? It's like, Jesus, man, can I just, can you just give me a minute? And I thought, well, this sounds too good to be true. And, you know, I don't have a job, really. So maybe I should take the job. And and I had, you know, so much freedom. And I could just basically do whatever I wanted in a good way. You know, I could do my weekly trainings. I could choose my team. You know, when it comes to the menu, I could I could be as creative as I wanted. And, and it was just good. And, you know, also, we had such a good team all around, from reception to the kitchen to... We had a great general manager and we just had a good time. We were busy as hell, I'll tell you that. And it was hard work, but it was worth it. You know, I think, you know, with a good team and everything else, it was it was a fun ride for sure. How long how long have you worked at MASH and uh, what kind of menu did you put in place? So I was there for about four years and mm, I was going to say I'd like to reinvent myself, but I don't think that's true because... I don't know how you feel about this, but let's say that you go to an art school. You need to learn. I need to know about different artists and different styles before you start having your own style, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you, as a bartender, you, you learn your classics until you find your own style, you know, like artists would say, until we found our sound, uh -huh. you know, you know, you listen to a, a song that you've never heard from the red hot, but you know it's the red hot. Indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, that's a very important quality that we should maybe achieve. I say maybe because sometimes you could spend your entire life just making classics. And that's fine, and that's absolutely fine. But anyway, I'm just saying that I've always changed. I never had my thing. I never had my sound. I just kind of adapted into a genre, you know? I just I studied it. I, I understood it. But I never had, I don't think I have, I don't think you can look at one of my drinks and say, that's definitely from Spaniard. You know, like right now that where I work, you know, we have three different bars and we have three different concepts. Mm -hmm. They have nothing to do with each other. Mm -hmm. And and it's also understanding of what makes sense. So I agree. So why did you, uh, I think like to just close this specific topic, I think that it's very difficult to achieve such a uh, distinct style when it, if you run multiple outlets, I agree with you on that. But I think you have certainly achieved a certain style with your uh, videos, like with your bartending videos. Like, it's like 90% yeah. of the times, if it's one of your videos, I can tell it's your video. <laughs> well, why do you think so? Because I think that you've got this unique element. Like, first of all, you come from a, a bartending background and you've uh, had the chance to work with uh, great bartenders that have uh, certain techniques. So you can see that there is a very bartending technical element into the videos that you take so there are certain moves certain flips or certain ways that way the people pour that you just know how to catch but i think what defines you is that you've got these elements of like very very cool techniques and like very serious bartending topics but broken down and made fun because a lot of the times your videos are just fun to watch do you know what i mean but it's but that's the thing is that bartending is fun so i'd it's, I'm not, look, I'm not trying to be funny. Uh, I, I can understand why people would think that I, that I am trying to be funny. But believe you me, sometimes, you know, when I'm doing my editing and sometimes when I am trying to be funny, 
is possibly the 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 sequences that you will never see because uh-huh. because you can see that I'm trying to be funny and it, and it's just a complete disaster but when I'm trying to just show what I don't know I don't know how to explain it because the thought process behind it is 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 none it's you know it's zero it's more yeah. so a lot of the a lot of the times it's just being natural and just and trying to think about what would you like to see like what what would what would be something that would interest you in this topic and in this world and, and, and in the bartending world, you know, that there's not that much, um, there's not that much thought process for that. I'm, I'm going to make sure that the next video is going to be hilarious because then it's going to be, a, I, I can see it at least with myself that it's just not going to be. It's as not genuine, as, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and the videos that I'm coming up with nowadays, I mean, the, the next one that, that will come out soon, hopefully it's, they're just getting more and more ridiculous, but as long as I'm still adding that element of uh, excitement of, I wonder what he's going to do next, rather than, you know, check out the new bartending video from so-and-so person, you know? I, uh, I'm adding elements of bartending in something that you would not never say, this is a bartending video. Oh, you know, it's, cool. it's, beca- it's becoming more of a now it's just a bartender making a video rather than a bartending video. That's, I can't, that's I can't wait I'm... to see that. Yeah. Cool. So let's move to the last step of your career. Like after four years at MASH, what made you decide to move to the next uh, step where you are now? So after leaving MASH? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't really... Well, I mean, working for four years, you kind of want to look for something... Uh, new something different yeah i think four years is the limit in today's hospitality market because i think after four years you feel like you've given a lot to the place but you kind of like starting to feel stale so i think four years is a good spot so tell us about your current job like where do you work and what do you do so it's a five it's a five-star hotel in the center of copenhagen and it's a yeah it's a boutique hotel by this very famous theme park which is tivoli so it's it's a great place to to stay because imagine you know opening your doors your windows and there's a theme park right in front of you. I mean that's just insane. For me, it's just once you you know once you work there, it's it's just you're just so used to it. But it still blows my mind that you're in the center. Of, you know, you take a train from the airport, takes you straight to the center, and in front of you you have your hotel. So you just have to cross the road, go into your room open your windows and there's a theme park in front of you. That's crazy, man. Only Copenhagen I mean, can do that, I think. That, that's like that's, no other that's cities insane. in the world. Yeah, it's absolutely mental. Plus, Tivoli is such an awesome uh, theme park. You just take it for granted sometimes, you know? I mean, it's 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 almost like a... Well, I mean, it's like a fairy tale, you know, in a way, because it's almost unreal that you can just take a train... Fr- uh, not a train, sorry. Take a plane from Stansted straight to Copenhagen and within two hours you open your windows and there's a theme park in front of you with a with a peacock shouting at your ear ah! oh my god oh my god Nikele awesome. you're missing out I, I when know, are you I, coming I'll come over soon as soon as this pandemic is over cool I think we're uh, approaching the end of this uh, one a couple of last questions I would like to ask you so first of all you mentioned that uh, the importance of having a business plan and things like that before when opening a bar and due diligence, if you, uh, to anyone who wants to open their own bar, uh, what recommendations would you give? Well, you definitely need to make sure that you do your research and that you have a very strong, solid business plan. Uh, I mean, I've done about 
three or four business plans and you know there is so many variables that we don't think about i think it, it definitely helped working in different bars or restaurants with the bar and take different responsibilities so you get to know what goes you know behind the scenes and how much more you need to know and understand just do your research maybe find someone who's done it already and get some get some tips because it's not it's not that fun to be honest and just make sure that you have everything in line because uh, it's a business at the end of the day. I think a lot of bartenders want to open up a bar because they don't see what's behind those doors, you know, all this, all this accounting. And, and uh, I, think, I think you also need to be, you know, climbing up the ladder a little bit, you know, when you become a, a manager or a general manager that you get to know a little bit more about this side of the spectrum, right? Yeah, the paper side, which is often underrated, right? While it's actually yeah, crucial. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, um, I mean, how much do you know about salaries? You know, if you could say, like, I know about salaries. I'm, you know, I, I'm a manager. I approve salaries. Like, yeah, but how, what do you know about salaries? What do you know about people's rights? And what do you know about... There's just so many elements in, 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 in so many different corners that, again, you know, it's a business. So... Uh, Maybe maybe have uh, have an extra hand and, and make sure that you have your own uh, accountant so he takes care of the money. Maybe have an extra hand for uh, you know as a for a carpenter, um, mm -hmm. so um, so you don't have to go through this stress and you don't have to you know because you know some people don't have the opportunity to open up a bar and and when they do they only have that one chance. So say like, okay, so here's one here's our here's our million. Let's do this. And and maybe there's like thirty percent of of what goes into the business that you just have no idea what you're doing, and then you end up spending that money on your failures, you know. So maybe talk to someone that's already been in the business that can give you a little bit of a little bit of a guideline, um, because it's not as easy as it's not as it's not as romantic as you may think. Uh, I agree. Awesome. And the uh, last question we asked to everyone. Uh, so if you could choose your last drink, what would that be? My last drink? Yep. Are you making it for me? I can if you want me to. Well, if you make it for me, I don't care what you make. It can be anything. So it's not about the drink. It's about who makes it for you. <laughs> I think so, man. I, th <laughs> I, th I, th I think it's definitely about the company, you know. A glass, a glass of, um, hmm. I don't know. How much time do I have with you? <laughs> well it's your last day so i can give you an hour or so okay so i can so i can get a punch yeah cool <laughs> like a punch ball <laughs> just to spend as, as as long as i can with you yeah oh fantastic cool spaniard thank you so much for uh for the time it's been an absolute awesome to chat to you absolute pleasure thank you very much we hope you enjoyed our interview with spaniard we are unjiggered underscore media on Instagram and you can follow our personal accounts at mmariotti89 for McKelly, Alex J. Murphy for myself and Adrian Bessa for Adrian. Thank you for listening.